And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the Friday Party. Financial Fitness Friday, that is. I'm Rich Rosso, CFP, here with Danny Ratliff, Certified Financial Planner Squared. We so appreciate you uh, being with us today. Mr. Ratliff, you look chipper. Well, for a wood chipper. Yeah, more coffee. <laughs> Just so you know, what you're not seeing is the coffee intravenous machine hooked up to Danny Ratliff to keep him away. You know, yesterday, I was on the United Airlines website. <clears throat> and not to be wrapped up in any kind of recency bias, but um, I was making these airline reservations. And there's one thing I realized, Danny. What's that? How entrenched these higher prices are for longer. Just to go to Lexington, Kentucky and back, you would think years ago what your standard air flight was, plus the fact that now you're almost paying for every seat on an airline. There are excellent seats. There are good seats. There are fair seats. The seat by the bathroom. Uh, those are probably the only seats I don't actually no. Yeah, those are the only seats that are standard. But now they've tiered the seats so much, it's almost like you have to buy a seat. It's ridiculous. So you buy your seat, but then oh, you'd like to choose where you sit. You have to buy another spot. Exactly. It's ridiculous. But what I realized yesterday, you know, obviously we're going into a profits recession. These, to me. This will conflict some with what Lance talks about. But to me, these higher prices aren't just a high for these companies. They're a necessity based on labor costs. Uh, the cost of doing business overall has increased. And I just wonder one thing. We've had several hotter than expected inflation numbers, right? We had some downshift in rates. So everybody's talking about what the Fed should do next. 25 basis points, 50 basis points. You remember last time they raised rates, I said they should do 50. They did 25. So to me, <clears throat> when you look at like even the PCE, right? That's the, fa that's the Fed. That's their favorite gauge, right? You see the prices paid component of the Institute for Supply Managers measure of factory activity going higher. To me, Danny, I think... They're behind the curve again. I think the Fed is behind the curve again. And I understand it takes a while for these interest rates to get through the pipeline. But I just had this realization making, and I won't even tell you how much these tickets were, to go to Lexington, Kentucky. Like, I'm not going anywhere fancy, okay? But round-trip tickets. What do you think round-trip tickets to, from Houston to Kentucky? Shh. I remember what they were say, 10 years, five years ago, four years ago, and what they are today? Uh, 450 to $500. $1,000. Shut it. No way. $1,000. Now, is this like By something the time you, you have get to do a tomorrow? Standard seat, not first class. I'm not talking first yeah. class. This is for the end of the month, four weeks from now. Huh. That's so I, then I started doing research on all these other standard flights. I'm talking not to places that you would consider this vacation destination. 
I couldn't get away without a round-trip ticket for six, $700. That's before you maybe even want to think about buying an economy plus seat. Well, you know there are places like flight trackers that you can actually put in where you'd like to go, and they start, they'll tell you when it goes on sale. Mm-hmm. And during specific times in the week, so like weekends are historically bad times to book because prices will go up. Right. So but, uh, this is, I was booking during the week, too. Like I, mm. I looked at during the week, or, unless I wanted to leave at 4 a.m. in the morning. As opposed to seven or eight. And what's so wrong what, with that? Huh? I mean, you're up at like two. <laughs> Why not? That's, that's true. But my point is, how entrenched, Danny, based on how our economy is working now, where labor force participation is, right? The hostility, outright hostility to business by this administration. When do prices really go back? Do they ever go back to what they were? I say no. I say there's a new benchmark being made here. And maybe I'm wrong because I had this experience yesterday, but I am just noticing that the standard for prices is higher, and I just don't see with the way business is, the environment is, where our deficits happen to be, where our supply chains are still not what they should be, how long it really takes to fight this inflation. Well, I think it's going to be when the consumer breaks. I mean, we haven't seen wage growth decline, nor have we seen job numbers really start to miss the mark as much as what the Fed would like, right? And that's what's going to have to happen. Right. But, you know, you look at forward guidance with CEOs, they're not talking about slashing prices. Not yet, but they will. They're going to have to. I mean, look at Hershey's. They they came out and said, hey, we're not lowering prices. Yeah, Uh, exactly. All the big companies, consumer staples, that's not happening. Now, you're probably going to see it first in the consumer discretionary, and then we'll start to see it bleed over to other areas. But as you mentioned, we are not seeing these numbers relax like the Fed was anticipating or hoping. Granted, it does take time for it to hit the economy. But and this is where I think that it is different because we have a lot of lot of extraneous factors here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just a fiscal monetary policy, it's geopolitical issues. It's I mean, it goes much deeper exactly. than where we've historically been. But I don't know. I think you can make an argument that you're still going to see the same types of events occur. It's just not in the same type of manner, right? And the Fed has been way behind the curve. You know, we argued for years they should have been hiking interest rates. Mm-hmm. We get in the pandemic, they lose any ground that they had to do so. And then they waited so long before they started to increase rates. So, but you think about all the debt that's on the books mm-hmm. government, corporate, consumers. This is going to be that self-fulfilling prophecy that higher inflation is going to cure higher inflation at some point. It's to your point. It's just like how much of this bad medicine do you need compared to the past, as you just brought up? Because when you look at the global economy, it's showing vigor. So you look at business surveys this week. This is out of the Wall Street Journal. It's point, pointing to this widespread revival in growth despite rising costs and elevated energy and food prices. Heck, I mean, we had an event not too long with the other night at the Federal Grill. I walk out of the restaurant and it's mobbed. People are still spending money and I just don't know how far the Fed has to go. And I think they might be, again, behind the curve. And there's going to be this lack of credibility coming out of the Fed. And I don't see how, you know, I know we talk about the no landing and the soft landing. Like you said, we might really need to break this fever through something much much worse. Well, but stimulus is finally 
coming out of the system. Like we have, we have an investment committee meeting each day. We talked about this yesterday, day before, mm -hmm. about some of the stimulus that was still being offered to small businesses. I mean, you have people you know that have been still be able to collect in different ways. Yep. And so money's still flowing. And, but I do wonder, and, and this is something that I always find intriguing. It's like you get all these stats. And, and I was at another large firm years ago, and this was during the Great Recession. And they said, the average car on the road's 11 years old. And I thought, well, where is this? Because we're not seeing it in our area, right? But then I went to um, North Carolina. And I felt like I stepped back in a 1980 in the town that we were in, right? We we're... <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying there, well, there are places like, whoa, okay. There, there, there are a lot of places around the country, to your point, that are having a very, very tough time uh, overall. And they have already broken. But people that have cash and the wealthier people, they're still out there spending. When we get back, we're going to talk about why waiting to take Social Security 70 is the best option for most. And you want to get a bigger bang for your buck over 25%? We'll tell you how to do it on your social security income anyway. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show YouTube channel has all our videos ready for your easy access. Now with the new and improved Before the Bell reports, Candid Coffee, and Lunch and Learn replays, plus each day's radio shows like Technically Speaking Tuesday, Financial Fitness Friday, and the latest analysis from Lance Roberts and Michael Leibowitz. Subscribe and bookmark our YouTube channel for The Real Investment Show, or just click on the show links at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show and welcome back well so Keep this in mind when you are doing a or getting a financial plan completed you can't ignore social security claiming strategies and you can't ignore the right way to take medicare and that is adhering to the multiple enrollment periods that are very confusing and people mess them up and in all fairness Danny and I have to study this. We all as advisors here study it, and we understand how it can be confusing. So with Social Security, there's a lot of studies that come out, you know, because we are generally in the camp, for most, there's always exceptions, that for most people, especially with a younger spouse, a spouse that didn't pay in as much of Social Security as that the higher claiming party, the higher earning party should be claiming later, because of survivor benefits and so forth. Plus, family dynamics are changing, and survivor benefits can even mean children for people in their 60s. So we have to look at this. So Lawrence Kotlikoff, I've been following him for tw since 2002, and um, we've worked with uh, a lot of these Social Security experts in one of our programs that we were sort of the test, test guinea pigs for uh, on how to create retirement income efficiencies as far as taxes when it comes to creating a, a retirement income that is minimizing taxation on Social Security and also IRMA or additional surcharges on Medicare. 
So this recent study was very interesting, Danny, because it validates a lot we, that we've done. This is a study by Altig Yee and Kotlikoff. Uh, I'm not going to bore you with all the mechanics of this study, but here's what's, what's most important about this. We all know that Americans are terrible savers. Right, and large numbers are reach are 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 looking to or reaching old age, too poor to finance retirements. Right, that could last longer than when they work. Listen, I understand life expectancy have taken a step back during the pandemic, but generally speaking, we are living longer today. And what you have to keep in mind is Social Security is longevity risk insurance. So this was a study using the 2018 American Community Survey, and that's to look at retirement ages from, they looked at these Federal Reserve reports, and they run it through their fiscal analyzer. Um, They have a special program that they run. And they look at, okay, we're looking at the measure and the size and the distribution of foregone lifetime Social Security benefits and, and figuring out what should really recipients do. So here's the bottom line, Danny. Virtually all American workers age 45 to 62 should wait beyond age 65 to collect. More than 90%, this is based on the study, should wait until age 70. Only 10.2% appear to do so, and they must be all in this office, because all our clients that we talk to. The median loss for this age group in the present value of household lifetime discretionary spending is $182,370. Optimizing would produce a 10.4% increase in, in um, typical workers' lifetime spending. For one in four, the lifetime spending gains exceed tw- 17%. For one in 10, the gain exceeds 26%. And among the poorest fifth of 45 to 62-year-olds, the median lifetime spending increases close to 16%, with one in four gaining more than 20, close to 28%. In other words, Danny, through every age group, with life expectancy the way they are. It was best for workers to wait. I understand the solvency issues. Danny and I follow the trust fund. We understand all the dilemmas. We understand the politicization, politicalization of it, right? The weaponization of it. We know it's really not that difficult to fix right now. Who knows when they get to it? But the point of it is Social Security has become America's pension and waiting until 70. I didn't realize, Danny, that it was so pervasive. In other words, this study opened my eyes to the fact that it's worth waiting for almost every worker to take Social Security at age 70 because of the 8% delayed retirement credit, the longevity risk. It could be a real hefty check. And men, sorry, we don't outlive our female spouses. And if they haven't paid in as much, that survivor benefit will also be uh, beneficial to women who outlive us. What do you think, Danny? I thought, this stu- I thought this study, as far as how pervasive and positive it is for most to wait to so- Social Security at 70 was amazing. I-, I didn't realize it was so dramatic. Well, I think it is. And I think some of the, the issues, though, that we face as a society is that most people expect to retire at, say, 66, and that's where some people's full retirement age is, or 67. Um, but most people retire earlier, Rich. I know. And so this is where it becomes a problem. Now we start looking at what are the, what's the average savings rates, and I don't even want to get into the median. The median of all workers is like $164,000. Um, you and look at people. Saving? Yeah. Yeah. You look at people, and you can see different studies. I mean, numbers are, are 
across the board similar, but they're all a little different depending on which which survey you look at. But this is a problem. I mean, how do people expect to recreate that paycheck, delay Social Security without the means to do so? And retiring early. Yeah, and retiring early. And most likely, as we find, men take tend to take Social Security at age 70. So some 40% of retirees are more than 50% financially dependent on Social Security. And roughly 13% are entirely dependent. And even those, and we've talked about this, and this is validated in the study, Danny, even those in better financial shape, like you all listening today, you on YouTube, Social Security is often their second largest retirement resource. It makes even a big difference to those people. So when you look at this study and say that over 90% of Americans age 45 to 62 should take their retirement benefits starting at age 70, it validates a lot of what we've been preaching and it validates a lot of what our research has. Of course, there are people that do take it early and we recommend it because of their personal situation. Don't take this as a blanket a blanket advice for your personal retirement plan. Well, we see a lot of people that are forced into retirement. Maybe you're taking care of a loved one, um, Care to, you know, right, a parent. Caregiver, yeah. I mean, we're, we see a lot of people who that's the reason they retire early. Some are forced out of the workforce. And maybe it's something that you just have to do. I mean, there are people that are ill that have to to take this early. So it's like you said, it's not blanket. But if you can delay, you should. Because, I mean, those numbers are pretty they're pretty dire, Rich. I mean, when you think about it. And then, you know, well, I think one of the bigger problems though, that we see is that the people who have the means, who saved a lot of money, make that emotional decision, say, I'm getting everything I can mm-hmm. out of Social Security. Yep. But. Yep. That's true. If you take it prior to full retirement age, you're going to have a decrease in benefits that will be permanent. Your spouse, if you are the breadwinner, they will have a decrease in benefits should you pass that will be permanent. Mm -hmm. Also, prior to full retirement age, you're going to be means tested. There's an earnings test. And this is something I think that most people fail to recognize because it's not talked about. So explain that, Danny. Like if I'm 62 years old and we see this a lot at our retirement right lanes and a lot of classes we do on retirement, right, strategies. If I'm 62 years old and we see how many times do we talk to people that go, oh, well, my broker said I should take it at 62. And the, first, the next question we ask is, are you working? How much do you make? So why don't you go into that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, or do I you have people- any other income? Are you drawing down retirement assets? Mm-hmm. Where's, where's your income coming from? Because for every $2 you make above $21,240, you're going to have $1 in benefits withheld, mm-hmm. meaning that you're likely going to have to write them a check. And then they're going to delay giving you additional benefits. And then for every $3 above $56,240, they withhold a dollar. So I have, I have known people who took Social Security early, did not need to do so, mm-hmm. but failed to recognize either deferred comp or how they were drawing down assets. Yep. Other income that may have been coming in. because And, and, and you got down to it and say, well, what was the reason why you took this? They said, well, I wanted to get everything I could out of Social Security. And usually it's they're talking to their neighbor, their friends, and somebody says, man, you've got to get it. This thing's going broke. Or we see the headline on the news, which is great clickbait. And there are issues, like you mentioned, Rich, but this is something that you need to make sure you understand all the consequences, good and bad, as you're looking at this, because it's not always what people think it's going to be. 
Agree. And you have to do it objectively without having this emotional, political response to it. You have to step away and consider not only what you're doing to your life, but perhaps a spouse's life. Now, if your spouse is paid into Social Security, they're high wage earners, then it's not going to really matter as much, right? Because that party can wait till 70. The survivor benefit is not going to be, they're not going to get it because their benefit may be greater. Yeah. But for the most part, Danny, I think we see people that are in a situation where one party hasn't paid in as much as the other. So the, the higher earning party needs to make better decisions for both. Correct. And that requires, to your point, taking some of this break-even analysis that this that Social Security is some something I have to get the money out of in spite of everything. Well, and then at uh, what age and cost of living adjustments, what's the impact overall to that? And I think that, you know, I, I can't stand so many times, you know, all these uh, commercials, Rich, to say, what's your number? That's, uh, that's the number one question you yeah. get. I know it is. Right. Well, how much do I need to retire? Well, I mean, I tell people all the time, I've told people with half a million dollars, they're, they're great. I've told people with, you know, millions of dollars that there's no way. And it, it depends on a handful of things. But what I think that putting something in a lump sum number like this is so much more impactful because right. you see that there's potentially hundreds yep. of thousands of dollars that's lost over your lifetime. And then we can determine where that break even age is. Whereas I think when it comes to Social Security, we say, ah, well, I'm going to get a little bit less. If I go ahead and take it now, it's not that big of a deal. But when you add it up over a year, over five years, over 10 years, over a lifetime. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars, yeah. possibly. So retirement benefits taken at age 70 remain 76% higher adjusted for inflation than retirement benefits starting at 62. It is a costly decision. We get back. We're going to talk about our... Am I just confused about IRAs? Yes. We're not. We're not. Right, Danny? When we return. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. up that last segment i want to explain to you that whoever you work with as your financial partner don't buy into the bromides about social security and all this other junk that you hear crunch the numbers look at it for your own financial situation if social security goes bust we're gonna have a lot more of these tent cities around town or maybe danny we just have a little tiny house community that's my dream the RIA tiny house community. You're going to put yours on the side of a freeway? No, could be scenic. Easy access. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You ever watch the tiny house uh, on HGTV, the tiny house shows, and they show how they try to create space at these tiny homes? But there was a great story about this girl, this woman. She had a home, primary residence, 
and she decided to rent it out in Atlanta, Georgia. There's a whole video on YouTube about it. And she bought, she has a huge backyard, and she bought a shed. And for $35,000, she created her place to live in the backyard, separate entrance, and she rents her front, her house in the front. That house was, that, that small, that shed was about 450 square feet. But I will tell you, going through this on the YouTube and how she uses every bit of space, it was comfy. It was, you know, it, it, it looked great. This is how a lot of people are going to be looking to live. It's the ultimate she shed. It is. It was beautiful. Um, but you have a lot of Gen Zs that are enamored with this because they don't want to spend the money on the overhead, Danny. Well, I think it's not only that. I think people have been, um, you know, you're a prisoner to things. That's right. And so as you have, you know, more space, you fill it with a bunch of junk. And to eliminate that and spend more time on experiences, I think that's not a terrible, it's, terrible it's, way to live. And think about this, Danny. She's got the, the primary residence, which is about 1,600 square feet. That's a house. She rents okay. that house. And her shed's paid off, so her expenses are pretty much zero because it covers the mortgage on the other house, and she just felt that the house was too big. Yeah. So, and yet she can still keep an eye on it, right? Because she lives in really the backyard, but the backyard's so big, it doesn't interfere with them. They, they have a shared space for, like, um, barbecuing and a fire pit, but for the most part, there's a lot of privacy for both parties. And I thought that this, this I think this young woman was like 27, 28 years old. And she says, I'm just saving my money. I'm working and I'm saving my money and living smaller. I mean, I didn't see anything wrong with that strategy for a single young woman that wants to work and travel and uh, keep her expenses to a minimal. And whereabouts is this? Atlanta. Atlanta. Okay. Yeah. you could. I'll, I'll send you the video, but I first saw it on CNBC and then I saw it. I went to the YouTube and... I just thought her thought process was very smart. Sent that to my daughter as well to her to take a look at it. But it was just a, you could see how people are becoming more resilient and they don't want to be house poor, Danny. Yeah. You know, Lance was talking about the other day. Listen, if you don't have 20% down, you know, maybe you don't, maybe you just can't afford a house. Well, but not only that, if you're not putting 20% down in this environment, you're likely, one, your payment's going to be through the roof. And that's why we're not seeing people move as, as much as they were because- even if they wanted to downsize with interest rates where they are, their right. payments are likely the same. Yes. You're not so, seeing the inventory circulating on Zillow and so forth. I look at the area. Why would you move yeah. when I have a probably have a mortgage rate roughly around 3%? So it's, it's becoming a problem for people to find homes right now. So Well, I think there's a concern, too. You get upside down on it just with prices have not. Yes. They haven't dropped as quickly as most people were anticipating. I know a lot of people, we have clients that are waiting. They've sold their homes <laughs> right. and they're literally renting, waiting to buy. But they're just like, man, I just can't. It's not where I want it yet. And it may not get there. But you would think that if this rate expedition continues, which it will for a bit. But what's the overall impact with these these longer term rates? Are they going to continue, you think? I think we know they're stickier. They're stickier. See, the whole thing about the inflation rate, the mortgage rates, is this stickiness factor. And I don't know if the Fed's working fast enough to unstick it. I don't think, I think they're going to have to really cause this, lack of a better term, car to crash to get attention to it. 
Uh, and I don't know how long it's going to take. So it is a challenge for many young people to find the right house. But you have some young people and even some older people uh, that are retiring and looking smaller and finding more creative ways to retire. This is where the younger generations are teaching the older generations that all your stuff, all your big bills didn't do you any good because you're terrible savers and you don't have any money. So I don't know. That lesson seems positive to me. Um, speaking of lessons, Danny, many workers are calling their, many bosses are calling their workers back to the office. USA Today said, listen, you're no longer on remote basis anymore. You need to start coming in. So they took those remote workers and they took them to hybrid, saying you have to show up in the office three days a week. So you're starting to see from a lot of bigger companies, Danny, this exclusive work at home, remote, starting to die. And hybrid really taking over. The, Danny, you and I talked about this for us, right? There's got to be the way you build a corporate culture and camaraderie and a team. You can't do it remotely. You can't have a climate remote. You have to have a period of time where people are at the office. And now you're seeing a lot of companies going, you know what? You're going to have to make these changes and go back to, yes, you're going to have flexibility, but you are going to have to come back to the office. And we know USAA is a huge company, right? Banking services, auto, home, life insurance, military personnel and their families, 37,000 employees. So even though the job market's tight, they are being told, Danny, you are no longer an exclusive remote worker. You must be in the office three days a week. So. This goes along somewhat to our financial discussion about the sticky inflation. We're just trying to figure out the world now after closing down the economy for so long, which obviously was a huge mistake, okay? I don't, you can't even discuss it with me, all right? I'm usually open. This was a bad idea. So um, this adjustment of coming out of the post-pandemic and going somewhat going back to where we were, but not exactly, I think also goes to prices, that they're not going back. And that's why there's been talk by Larry Summers, Ella Larian, this 2% benchmark rate is stupid. It's gotta be closer to 3% because for you to go from 6% and some elements of inflation going higher, to get to 2%, you are gonna have to break something. You're going to have to break something. Well, in this 2% number, you remember 2% was really low. And even when they, they set that initially, everybody thought, well, why, why are we at 2%? Mm -hmm. And we could not manufacture inflation above it to save our lives. And now here we are. We, we come right back to this number. You finally, They finally generated exactly what they wanted. They finally have inflation. But it's the wrong type at the wrong time. And so now we want to get back to 2? <laughs> I mean. That's like you going back to your junior high school weight. Hey, but I'm twice the man I used to be, okay? <laughs> no, but listen, sometimes you can't go back again, all right? I mean, without really destroying something. Like, if you went back to your junior high school weight, maybe there's something wrong with you medically, physically, okay? Uh, so we're all going to have to be prepared for more turbulence as an investor. So what do you focus on? 
what are the things you can control? So I had to do an interview because the question was, this. I had to do an interview about this article, Danny. It was how to get to a million dollars. Clickbait, total clickbait from USA Today. I told the reporter, this is absolutely the worst article I have ever read. And you know what the solution was to get to a million dollars in retirement? Invest in these two stocks. About buying Starbucks. No, it was invested in these two stocks with this ETF. It was designed to just get you into stocks or a symbol that was going to change your life. And I said, listen, why don't you start with the activities you need to do every day? The time, the consistency, the discipline. Moving away from immediate gratification to delayed gratification. What if you focused on the percentage, 1% pay yourself first, 2% pay yourself first. Instead of this million dollars, which you said earlier in the show, Danny, it may be too much, it might be too little. You're focusing on the number or the end result, but not the steps you need to get there and reveling in those steps to get to where you need to go, don't you think? Absolutely. Well, we get hung up on the number and not actually what you need to do or and what these numbers are for. Right. What's the end game? How do you get there? When you get there, how do you how do you start to unwind it? What can you withstand from a market perspective? I think that's always important because look, we all want to eat our cake and not get fat. We all want great returns with no risk. It's not possible. Although we try, don't we? Crypto was the way to do it. I'm not really taking any risk. I just put my money in, and it doubles, and it triples. That painful lesson happens every time. I know we're going to talk about these IRAs when we get back, and where Danny and I have been ahead of the curve here. But now, the world is opening up to the beauty of Roth. Not Hyman Roth and the Godfather. I didn't like him too much. But... Roth IRAs, Roth 401ks, when we return here on Financial Fitness Friday. Stay tuned. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com welcome back to the real investment show friday financial fitness friday edition Hey, thank you guys on YouTube for following along. Go hit the like button and subscribe if you have not already. If you're in the car and you think, darn it, I got out of the door late, go to YouTube, Real Investment Show. Boy, you can darn. always catch them. Yeah. You can see Rich, what his attire may or may not be for the day. I'm wearing clothes. Well, <laughs> thankfully. I was going to wear my Elmo pajama pants today, but... That have been a little bit too overdressed. That may be a little much for the dress code here. So, Rich, you brought up a really good point. Yeah. The mainstream media has finally caught on to Roth IRAs, Roth 401ks, and albeit it took government threatening higher taxes for everybody to jump on that bandwagon. 
And I think this is a really hot topic, and it should be for so many reasons, because just like we talked about, you know, taking distributions mm -hmm. in, in retirement, you retire before full retirement age, you know, you can have, you have an earnings test for Social Security, Medicare, you have surcharges on your premiums if you make too much money. I mean, there's a lot of back pocket taxes that most people aren't aware about. Right. And also, we're in an environment where the Fed, the government cannot stop spending money. So the federal government has become our own worst enemy in this aspect. And so, you know, we talk about this often. The way I always equate a retirement account, especially a pre-tax account, is that you have a business and you have a, a partner. Now, your partner is a silent partner. But in most businesses, you set this up. We know exactly, like Rich, we know exactly how much ownership you have. Uncle Sam, though, has a unique relationship with you and your retirement funds. So treat your account like a business because the only the, the one unique aspect, though, is that they can change their ownership at any, any time. And we don't always retire in a lower tax bracket. So this is why we believe it's so extremely important to not just diversify assets amongst different types of investable uh, investing sectors or investment vehicles, mm -hmm. but also giving yourself that flexibility to take Uncle Sam out of the equation and out of the picture so you have you have the flexibility for withdrawals that aren't going to impact all of those other things that most don't consider. Yeah, and this uh, recent study, the Investment Company um, Institute, found out that people do not contribute to, say, for example, any IRAs, Danny, because only 15% of all households make contributions to traditional IRAs or even Roth compared with 13% uh, in 2020. And because, to your point, the government makes these rules so complicated. Oh, if I'm contributing to a plan at work, when does the when does the deduction phase out here? What is that? It it makes it impossible. We're able to do uh, a lot with Roth. Yes, there are AGI um, limitations, and I also think, in all fairness, Danny, IRAs have taken a back back step to traditional company retirement plans with the SECURE Act really makes more robust, especially plans for small business, right? Yeah, but I'm not even sure it's that. I think that people don't have the bandwidth or the funds to fully utilize all of these different avenues. Well, even the ones we, people that are good savers, say the super savers, when they max out their plans, what I have noticed, when they max out their retirement plan at work and I have clients that now are maxing out their Roth 401ks, not pre-tax, 401ks. And keep in mind, with the SECURE Act, you're able to now do your matching contributions in Roth beginning next year. Right? Before, you would always do your employer contributions in, uh, in pre-tax. Now you can contribute those to Roth. So obviously, the message in SECURE Act 2.0 is they need money. We need money now. We've said that Roths are the J.G. Wentworth of today, even though Peter Thiel almost took us off the deep end because he's a terrible businessman. He's an evil, wealthy gentleman who took advantage of the tax rules and, and had a Roth conversion. So um, Roth is becoming much more prominent. But that doesn't mean even when these clients fund that I talk to, hey, you funded your Roth 401k to the max. Yeah, 
Well, even though it's not pre-tax, guess what? You still can contribute to a Roth IRA. Oh, there are Roth IRAs? <laughs> they have become the Jan Brady, the IRAs. Of the financial world, that's not according to the ICI. That's according to Rich Rosso. Because we don't think of them after retirement plans. We don't think about that there are still IRAs that we can fund. And if you're going to fund a pre-tax IRA, forget it. Don't worry about it. Check your AGI requirements, though. See if you can fund a Roth IRA in addition to your Roth 401k. Unless you believe taxes are going lower in the future. You know, I'll tell you what, listening to the show yesterday was depressing. Only because when you think about how much debt we've taken on for the 1.5% GDP growth rate that we're going to get in this country. It, it is depressing. <laughs> it is depressing. So try not to depress you all today. Roth is a good thing. You're going to have more Roth options with Secure Act 2.0. Some are going to kick in next year. But take advantage of it. If you're five to seven years from retirement and all your money is in pre-tax buckets, that means you have lost tax control. And if you think, to Danny's point, that you're going to fall into the lowest tax bracket with taxation on Social Security, yes, your Social Security benefits can be taxed anywhere from 50 cents to 85% on the dollar and or IRMA charges or surcharges on your Medicare Part B and D premiums. You are sadly mistaken. So don't forget those Roths. But the SECURE Act is going to make things a little bit more confusing because companies are going to have to get into to play – I was talking to a client yesterday about, hey, you, now you can do SEP. He wants to open a SEP because his, his, uh, his account says, listen, you're going to save money pre-tax. And I'm, I'm preaching the Roth version of the SEP, which is new in the SECURE Act. He goes, well, my account says there's no such thing. I said, well, your account needs to read the, SEP, the SECURE Act 2.0. You want me to send it over to you? I'll send you the, over the publication, send it over to your, your tax person. So people are going, my gosh, I could get this huge tax benefit, Rich. And you're telling me I need to go to Roth? Well, because I'm looking at all the pre-tax money you already have, and I'm asking you to diversify your accounts. That sounds very counterintuitive, Danny, even though there is this progress toward the Roth not being so evil. There is progress to understanding, blending, or controlling your tax rates in retirement to manage your uh, or make your, your tax retirement income more efficient. There is, and I think that, you know, this is one area you have to be careful in and, and understand your situation. Um, I ran across something the other day, Rich, and this, uh -huh. this guy put together, basically. It was, it was another article, kind of clickbait, I'm sure, but talking about how you need to invest in a traditional IRA because it's actually much more beneficial. If you look at paying the taxes now versus paying the taxes later, you receiving an 8% every single year. Oh, I'm going to get 8% every, every year? year? Did you know that? Sweet. Yeah, and... Um, then you're going to retire in a much lower tax bracket. Was this article from 1995? No, no. It was an advisor. And it was uh, like a week ago. When did he, when was the, what was the last book he read? I'd like to. That's one of the questions you should always ask your new advisor. We have a guide on financial guides. If you have any look at our financial survival guides, one is you're interviewing your broker advisor. Here are the questions to ask. One is, hey, what's the last book you read? Why did you read it? 
Well, and, and so the I think argument was this advisor, though, it was Lady Chatterley's lover. Well, this, that was the last book he read. Go ahead. No, but go ahead. but what he never took into account was Social Security taxation. Never took into care to account Medicare Irma charges or the potential that we're just at some point going to have higher taxes. And you may not retire. And, and even if we don't, how often do you have somebody that truly retires in a significantly lower tax bracket from an effective tax standpoint? Not anymore. Yeah, it's not like it used to be. Mm-hmm. And even then, I think that when we start extrapolating, you know, okay, well, I make, just use a round number. So you make $100,000. But then you start backing out. You say, well, I'm going to live on X amount. Well, you may already be living on that. So you're taxed at that because if you're putting those funds pre-tax into a 401k and you're maxing that out or an HSA, let's just say, just make it easy. It's 25000 Maybe you're only getting taxed on 75000 of that hundred. Mm-hmm. And when you retire, that may be exactly what you're withdrawing from assets, which would all be fully taxable if they're all coming from pre-tax accounts. So you're right where you were. I don't know. I mean, I think there's so, so many variables right now that need to be considered, Rich, that, you know, it's... Uh, but Daddy brings up a good point on YouTube because he says, Roth, hmm, tax-free bonds are cool too, but the government makes you add that interest to your income to calculate your tax on Social Security. That's right. People don't realize, Danny, what goes into the formula to tax your Social Security benefit. They don't realize that interest on tax-free municipal, I mean, municipal bonds gets added back. And one half of your Social Security gets added back. It's an evil formula. Roth doesn't get added to that formula for Social Security taxation. In other words, if you had all Roth, not that everybody does, but if you had all Roth and you were drawing from Roth and you had Social Security income, you would receive 100% of that Social Security income completely tax-free. And there's something to be said for that. It doesn't make sense you get taxed on Social Security, but you do. And if anything, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. I'm not sure it's ever going to get better, Rich. <laughs> no, well, not in regard I, to that. I agree with you. I agree with you. Hey, so, okay, check out uh, Lance's latest articles. I have an article coming out next week, part one of three of Raising Money Smart Kids, strategies you need to have. Lance back on Monday. You all have a great week. Thanks for sticking with us today. We so appreciate it.